Hi, I'm Brian Mandel, the editor-in-chief of the Cleveland Clinic Journal of Medicine, CCJM. Welcome to Beyond the Pages, CCJM podcast, where we will take you in-depth into the content of selected articles from the Cleveland Clinic Journal of Medicine and explore a few interesting tangents along the way. Through moderated interviews with our authors and other experts in the field, we hope the clinicians will gain a more nuanced perspective of clinical concepts that are changing the practice of medicine and be able to apply this perspective to the care of our patients. Welcome back to part two of our conversation. Please be sure to listen to part one of this episode. Now let's go back beyond the pages. So would you be able to mention uh, the weight loss effect in some specific populations, such as patients that are treated with antipsychotic drugs or women with polycystic ovarian uh, syndrome? Yes, so I believe that probably the population of patients taking antipsychotic drugs is one of the best described populations in terms of the special beneficial effect of metformin in weight loss. So it's been described that around anything around like 65 to 80 percent of the patients taking antipsychotic drugs experience a weight gain of at least 7 percent. And actually, obesity has been described as one of the most frequent comorbidity that increases the risk of the mortality risk in patients with uh, mental illnesses. So this has particularly been described in patients taking atypical antipsychotics, particularly clozapine and olanzapine, and followed also by risperidone and quetiapine. So in a meta-analysis, it was reported that the metformin was an effective treatment for the weight gain associated with these agents. And it looked like it was not a class specific, but the efficacy was driven by the magnitude of the weight gain. So the more weight gain these patients experienced, the best effect that metformin had in reducing that weight gain. So interestingly, there was a trial, a randomized controlled trial, uh, assessing this called the COMET trial. And unfortunately, it has to be prematurely finished uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it ended up being underpowered to show the weight loss. And, and this was to assess the role of metformin in preventing weight gain. So they started metformin at the same time that they started the, the antipsychotic medication. So it ended up showing positive results, but underpowered. But I think it's still uh, valid evidence. And there's another study, ongoing study, a randomized controlled trial called MELIA, and that those results should come out probably by the end of this year or next year. So there is evidence here, and there is definitely a particularly efficacy of metformin in this population. Now, for patients with PCOS, it has been shown that the magnitude of the insulin resistance in these patients is way more than what it would be expected by the excess fat. 
So metformin has been shown to definitely decrease insulinemia, decrease uh, testosterone levels, and there is controversial evidence regarding the potential increase in ovulation, in menstrual frequency, and improvement in fertility. But there's definitely a lot of studies going on about about this, and it seems reasonable to try metformin in patients with PCOS and obesity, because not all patients uh, with PCOS have obesity, to address both the metabolic and potentially the reproductive uh, features of PCOS. Wonderful. So what potential mechanisms are believed to underlie metformin's effects on, on body weight? Well, after all this time, the overall mechanism of action of metformin is not well known. So the weight loss, it's least well known. (laughs) So uh, what, what we do know is that the mechanisms for weight loss are beyond the insulin sensitizing mechanism of metformin. So it has been shown that it produces appetite suppression. It has been shown that this is through increasing GLP-1, increasing peptide YY, and there's also increased hypothalamic sensitivity to leptin. There are lots of studies assessing the, because after a dose of metformin, metformin is um, highly concentrated in the gut, in the intestines. So there are lots of studies supporting an alteration of gut microbiome in these patients and that as a contributor also to weight loss. And there's also uh, been shown in animal models that metformin increases the expression and secretion of growth differentiating factor 15, GDF 15, which is of the family of the transforming growth factor beta. And this would be an additional mechanism by by which it decreases food intake, body mass, insulinemia, and it decreases glucose intolerance. So that is what I can uh, tell, tell you. But but yes, uh, not even the, the glucose-lowering effect of metformin, the mechanisms are, are not clear. So. So, so all these benefits sound very, very promising. Uh, can you mention some of the common side effects and or safety concerns related to metformin use? Yes. So, well... What we do know, unlike with the mechanism, after 60 years of being, more than 60 years of being used, uh, we, we do know the safety profile of metformin pretty well. So the main, main, by far, side effects of metformin are gastrointestinal. Around 30% of patients report gastrointestinal side effects, diarrhea being the most frequent, nausea, vomiting, abdominal discomfort. It has also been demonstrated that very slow titrating and taking the medication with food and the use of extended release formulations help with the with to, with gastrointestinal tolerance so those are kind of like the the tricks that we use to increase tolerance now the lactic acidosis is still always around so it has been shown that the overall 
incidence of lactic acidosis is anything between 3 and 10 per 100,000 person year. So it's really not undistinguishable from the incidence in general population with type 2 diabetes. Now, the most of the reported cases have been in patients with EGFR less than 30 ml uh, per minute and who developed at some point an acute kidney injury and they ended up with this um, very impaired kidney function. So the label has been modified because uh, up to 2016, it was contraindicated in patients with creatinine more than 1.5 milligrams per deciliter in men and 1.4 in women. Then in 2016, in light of new studies, um, the FDA modified the label, and now the contraindication is in patients with EGFR less than 30. And then in the in the group between 30 and 60, it is advised to monitor, to adjust the dose, but there are no guidelines specific on the dose on the, on how to to modify the dose. So, and there's different um, local guidelines advising physicians on how to do it. So, since we're talking about metformin for weight loss, which is an off-label indication. Uh, what we proposed, and we wrote it in the article, is that for if the indication is weight loss in patients with obesity and no diabetes, we should refrain from starting metformin in patients with EGFR less than 45. So between 45 and 60, we should get to a maximum dose of one of 1,500 milligrams of se- or 1,700 in the um, immediate release formulation. And for patients that are already on metformin and their EGFR decreases to less than 45, but more than 30, we recommend not using more than 1,000 milligrams per day. So we can continue it, but just not use higher doses. And finally, Regarding the um, side effects and safety concerns, it has been described that uh, metformin could interfere with the absorption of vitamin B12. So it has not been, it doesn't seem to be clinically significant or lead to anemia or neurologic manifestations, but it's still something going on. So chronic use, it we should have like high level of suspicion in patients that have uh, been using it for longer time. There's no specific recommendation on measuring vitamin B12 levels. There are some studies that promote it. There are some that know the FDI does not suggest periodically monitoring, but just use clinical judgment to see if we if we think it's necessary to monitor the vitamin B12. All right, great. So um, I have two more questions probably. So several recent studies have highlighted the potent weight-reducing effects of GLP-1 and GIP-dependent receptor agonists. So how do these outcomes compare to the weight loss effects of metformin? 
Well, well, there's no doubt that GLP-1 receptor agonists and dual GLP, GAP agonists have way higher efficacy than metformin for weight loss. It's not a fair comparison since there are not randomized controlled trials with metformin, but I don't think anyone would dare doubt the superiority of these newer agents over metformin for weight loss, definitely. So having said that, in the first GLP-1 receptor agonist approved for the treatment of obesity in patients without diabetes was liraglutide back in 2014, uh, liraglutide in the dose of three milligrams. In that time, the SCALE trials, which was the landmark trial for obesity and no diabetes, showed a mean weight loss of 8% and a difference with placebo of, of around 4% after one year follow-up. And around, it was described that around 63% of patients achieved a weight loss of more than 5%. And 15% of patients achieved a 15% weight loss or more. So then the story comes to 2021 when semaglutide, which is the other only um, GLP-1 receptor agonist approved for obesity without diabetes. So in 2021, the, the step one trial was published, including more than or, or around 2,000 patients with obesity, without diabetes. And they showed a, body, a decrease in body weight versus baseline of 14.9% at 68 weeks. So way, way superior than what was uh, reported with liraglutide. And the lifestyle intervention was like around 2%. So the, the difference um, versus placebo was on the order of 12 to 13%. So in this study, 87% of patients achieved a, a reduction in their body weight of 5% or more. Half of them reduced their body weight by 15% or more. And even it was described that uh, 30% lost more than 20% of their body weight. Then Last year, the step five came out, which assessed like the durability of weight loss up to two years. So it was 104 weeks. And it showed that the weight loss was gradual and progressive until around week 60, in which started the plateau. But the final body weight was around 15%. And the difference with placebo was 13% at two years. So it, it's really like durable in time, not as much as what has been described and we talked about with metformin, but uh, it's really, really significant. And uh, so there are two other medications, the terzepatide, which is a dual GLP, GIP agonist, has not been approved for obesity in absence of diabetes, but we know that it probably it, it will soon be approved. The Surmount 1 uh, trial published in 2020, 
2, if I'm not mistaken, showed mean weight reductions between 15 and 21 percent, depending on the dose used. And almost 95 percent of subjects achieved at least 5 percent of body weight and around 40 percent of subjects achieved 25 percent body weight loss. So I think soon we're going to have terzepatide approved for obesity. This amount, this this uh, results that I'm uh, talking are in patients without diabetes. So uh, it looks like it will be approved. And very recently, a couple months ago, another phase two trial with a triple agonist GLP-1, GAP glucagon was this uh, medication called ritatrotide was published and they have mean weight losses of 24% at 48 weeks. So it's, it, it's getting better and better. So wrapping up my answer, I think there's really no comparison between the weight loss efficacy of metformin and GLP-1 receptor agonists and their uh, siblings. So yeah, no, no, I don't think metformin can compete there. So, so you described all these results, right? Um, so as clinician, how should we navigate the decision to prescribe metformin or opt for GLP, considering also that uh, we don't have safety data for the new medication as long as we have for, for metformin? And the other thing that we noticed in, in the real world in practice is as soon as the patients stop these medications, right, they, they gain back the weight, uh, so they don't have the long-term effect immediately after stopping the medications. Yes, yeah, so I, I don't think we have to opt for one or another. and Maybe give both. <laughs> yeah, of course. The more, the better. <laughs> so obesity is a chronic disease and deserves and needs chronic pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic treatments. So the reason why patients regain weight when they stop the medication is the same reason why a patient with hypertension that stops its uh, um, low will increase their blood pressure measurements. So <clears throat> we need to think of obesity as a chronic disease with chronic management. And, prob- and, and it is all studies shows this plateau that happens with weight loss after a certain time, even with uh, this amazing, super effective um, treatments like the uh, semaglutide, after 60 weeks, they plateau. And that's when, if we have not reached the goal, the weight loss goal, we should add another medication. So there is small uh, there is evidence that small but maintained uh, weight loss around three to five percent have favorable effects in several obesity related diseases like like blood pressure, like glycemia, diabetes prevention. So if we can achieve this with a cheap, safe medication on top of something else, why not? I think it's worth trying it. I don't know if there will ever be a randomized control trial 
to assess metformin as a weight loss intervention in patients with obesity. But the data that we have available seems to point us in that direction. We don't at all promote the use of metformin as an exclusive pharmacologic intervention for people with obesity, but as an adjunct to other medications that have proven weight loss properties, I think it it doesn't hurt at all. Besides, with all this new research about other potential benefits, oncologic benefits, immune anti-inflammatory benefits of metformin, I think it's, it's definitely worth a try. There are some populations in which I believe it's totally fundamented, the use of metformin. Those are the patients uh, that use uh, antipsychotic drugs, patients with obesity and PCOS, and patients with prediabetes, particularly this subgroup that was shown to be, that in which metformin was shown to be as effective as lifestyle intervention, which is the group of uh, patients with BMI more than 35 and women with um, history of gestational diabetes. So in those groups, and also in patients uh, with higher levels of glucose metabolism alterations, meaning uh, higher levels of uh, fasting glucose or postprandial post-glucose uh, overload, uh, those patients should be on metformin not only for weight loss, but for the dual purpose of preventing or delaying diabetes and promoting weight loss. So I think it's not all said, but we wanted to write this because metformin is still considered a weight-neutral medication in many of the literature. And it looks like it's, it's not. It's modest, yes, absolutely, but it is worth. Dr. Rodriguez, thank you so much for your insights. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for your insights and helping us to go beyond the pages of the Cleveland Clinic Journal of Medicine. To read CCJM articles, visit ccjm.org. To participate in other accredited educational activities, visit ccfcme.org. You can subscribe to the podcast on Google Play, Spotify, or however you prefer to access your podcasts.